1: Being a chef
2: means keeping your cool in the kitchen, and with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card,
1: right this way,
2: it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Connecting changes everything. at and
0: This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre.
3: What is up, ladies and gentlemen? It's me, Jason McIntyre, here on Straight Fire. Thursday, October 29th. we got Thursday night football tonight. Best bet at the end of the podcast, it's nearly Halloween weekend. I'm going to, I don't know if I should tease my outfit or not. I had a buddy in uh, that I went to elementary school, high school, college with, and um, he had a Halloween party over the weekend, and he sent me a picture of his outfit, and I was like, oh, that's dope. I have, I don't know if I should spoil it or not, but um, obviously you guys are watching the show Cobra Kai on Netflix. There's a really good Cobra Kai outfit on this website, like HalloweenCostumes.com or something. So I ordered it. I'm watching Cobra Kai, obviously. And it's supposed to arrive today in the mail. I was very excited to rock my Cobra Kai Halloween costume this weekend. Actually, my kids, um, they, I've shown them the Karate Kid, the original, many, many times. And a couple years back, I think the year before we got to California, we got the skeleton costumes from the Karate Kid. And wore them, but I didn't like go to a party or anything because um, I, I just didn't. I just wore it around the neighborhood. It was cool. But uh, the Cobra Kai one's going to be good, so I've been hitting the weights hard this week to get jacked for Halloween. Gosh, that sounds so nerdy to say. At any rate, um, before we get to the podcast, and obviously I want to give a shout out to our guest today. You guys, if you like football, inside, writing books, um, NFL, Joe Burrow. I mean, Bruce Feldman stops by amazing interview. You guys are going to love it. But first, a quick piece of housekeeping. So I said this week, we're giving away three $100 Venmos to the best five-star reviews on iTunes. And I got to say, the reviews are rolling in this week. I've been watching them every night and the wife does not have a favorite yet. So I went rogue. I'm picking the first one. I think I might let the wife do the next one. And maybe Rob G will do the third one, but we will reveal the next two tomorrow. But this one just cracked me up because I know this guy. Uh, I had him on my Saturday weekend show recently and I've worked with him and he's awesome. And he is just an energetic dude that I really like a lot. His name is Nick Switcher. played in the majors, played for the Yanks, fiery guy. And it's funny, one day we did this show together and we walked off set. I was like, man this guy's got the energy of me, but he's like a former pro athlete, you know? And I'd I'd love to do something with him. And he actually came up and he's like, yo, Jay, man, that was good. We need to talk about doing something together. And I felt honored. I'm like, man, this guy's cool. This is great. And, you know, we got friendly and uh, he's he's a really great dude. At any rate, the five-star review on iTunes was Straight Fire is the Nick Swisher of podcasts. Straight Fire is the Nick Swisher of podcasts. Highly energetic at any hour of the day. Surprisingly intuitive and highly knowledgeable. Delivers in big spots. Makes you money. Doesn't shave every day. What's not to like? So shout out to somebody named New York City Baked Noodle. Hit me up on Twitter or IG and I will Venmo you a Benjamin. Love that review. Guys, keep them coming. We got two more we're giving out um, on tomorrow's podcast. And uh, I want to get you some money. You gamble, holiday money. We're going to be doing this in November. We may actually do it quickly in November uh, before Thanksgiving and all that fun stuff. All right. Before we get to the interview and the best bet, I just have to quickly chime in on what is happening in Dallas with the Cowboys. Now, I know you're starting to think, Jay, Andy Dalton didn't practice on Wednesday. He's probably not going to play. The line against the Eagles is ballooning. What the hell do you have to say about the Cowboys? Well, I want to start by going back to one of the early guests on this podcast, Brian Winhorst. If you guys feel like digging that one up, it's good. It's not just NBA. I asked Winhorst how he pivoted pivoted off breaking news as a reporter because breaking news had become so commoditized. It's on social media, every blog, blogs about it, whatever. And he said he would try to spin it forward and project what's going to happen in the future. And, Obviously, projecting what's going to happen in the future is difficult. As I've said here on the podcast, five years ago, if you told me I would have been in Los Angeles doing TV, radio, podcast, and writing for Fox Sports, if you told me that five years ago, I would have said, eh, I, I, I don't I don't know if I believe you. I, I don't think so. Now, in December of 2015, I got my first, hey, can you fly out to L.A. and uh, come on this show? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. But October, two months prior, I had no chance that five years from now, uh, this was what I would be doing. I had no clue. So how can we project five years ahead, 10 years ahead? Folks, how can we project 10 days ahead? And in 2020, 10 hours ahead. But I guess sometimes you get lucky. And if you do enough homework, you can deliver. If you go back and look at the podcast for this show, go back, Nine days. That's all you got to go back. Nine days. And we talked about it. We said, wait a sec. Jerry Jones has a terrible roster. They have no defense. They have the second highest paid running back, the third highest paid wide receiver. Are they going to look to trade or cut Zeke and Amari Cooper? Now that hasn't happened yet. But the rumblings are starting. And you know where it begins with the guys who they can cut. The Cowboys end up trading Everson Griffin this week. Shipped his ass to Seattle. Sayonara. He didn't want to play. And they cut a defensive tackle, Don Terry Poe, who used to be good with the Chiefs, and now he's just overweight and taking a paycheck. And they cut a a, a defensive back, Worley. They're starting to make moves. And what you can see with Dallas, they're not winning the division, okay? Certainly not with a third-string quarterback. Dallas is headed toward three or four wins that's where this is going and they're going to be drafting in the top five and I'm telling you right now they're going to have a difficult decision Dak Prescott maybe their franchise guy is going to be coming off a gruesome ankle injury if they're picking in the top five what if they're picking second what if they're picking third Justin Fields of Ohio State is an awesome quarterback Trey Lance out of North Dakota State is a very talented quarterback. You don't know much about him yet, but you will. And you just have to wonder, what if this breaks and the Cowboys decide, you know what, we're going to get off Amari Cooper. And I heard Cowherd this week is now on the, should we trade Amari Cooper to Green Bay? We told you October 20th. Time to look at moving Cooper. Time to look at moving Zeke. And I know that Zeke is near and dear to Jerry Jones, but it's funny. Now you hear people saying, man, Zeke looks kind of out of shape. Um, there was an instance where somebody on Washington came through the line, a linebacker, and just blew up Zeke going in for the sack. Zeke got trucked. Like I mean, he, he had COVID. You, know, you never want to take that lightly, but he does not look like the same guy. Dropping passes, fumbling. Maybe he's not locked in because they stink, but I'm telling you right now, it's looking like the Cowboys are hurtling toward disaster. And... What some people were calling a Super Bowl contender, the best team in the NFC East, looks like it's on the path to three or four wins. And I can see Dallas totally deciding, you know what, we have the third pick in the draft, we're going to take a quarterback, and um, Dak, we're just sorry how that broke, but we're going to move on. And Zeke, we're going to cut you like the Rams cut Todd Gurley, like the Falcons cut Devonta Freeman. And on and on and on. And we're going to trade Amari Cooper. I would not be shocked if Amari Cooper is traded here in the next week. It would not surprise me at all. So I just wanted to put that out there about the Dallas Cowboys. A big story. We like to be early on things. Let's monitor. But coming up next, a great interview with Bruce Feldman.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage,
1: They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Bridgestone, test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be.
0: You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports.
2: I know what sports fans want.
0: But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say, I know
1: a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy.
3: All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire a guy I know very well. He covers college football better than anybody. Uh, he He does sidelines. He's an author. He does reporting. He does studio.
4: Bruce Feldman. How are you, Bruce? I'm doing well, Jason. Good to be on with you.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's good to have you. And, uh, you know, you wrote a new book. Uh, Obviously, Meat Market is one of the seminal college football books of the last two decades. And now you got flipped the Script about spending time with LSU and their pretty crazy ride to the national title last year. How's life on the virtual book tour?
4: That part has been interesting. So I've been like a lot of people. It's a lot of Zooms and you're kind of scrambling, but it's been good, you know. I appreciate the kind words about Meat Market. I've always gotten asked for, you know, the 13 years or so since that book came out, will you ever do a sequel to it? And I just didn't think I would, or didn't think there was anything that met lined up right with it. And then about 18 months ago, you know, I kept in touch with Ed Ogeron, who basically was this—he was the central figure for Meat Market—and mm. um, he had been really raving about this new offensive coach he had hired to be the mm. pa- pass game coordinator, Joe Brady. I went down. I spent a week there. I was in all the meetings, and then, you know, had you know spent some time with Brady and went to practices. And I was like, man, these guys are going to be really good. i had never seen their offense really take it to the defense. Not that doesn't happen at LSU. And so, now I can't say I, I would predict they were going to win a national title, but I thought they were going to be really good and really interesting. And Joe Burrow looked phenomenal in that system. So I started working on a book proposal that was basically the sequel to Meat Market, and that's kind of what flipped the script is I mean the it's not just about that part of it but it's also when you look at Ogeron's life there has never been a coach in anywhere in football who has experienced the the highs of that he has experienced but also the lows that he has experienced to so the depths because I mean we're not just talking about a guy who got fired after three really turbulent seasons at Old Miss but we're talking about a guy who was who was on Jimmy Johnson's staff as a hot young assistant coach at Miami you know he's got Oh, wow. uh, he's coaching all these great D linemen and it's, it's uh, Cortez Kennedy and it's Warren Sapp. He coaches the rock, but also when he's there, his life spirals out of control. And he realizes he has a big problem with alcoholism and he ends up having to go to rehab and he's been 20 years sober now. But I think a lot of those hard life lessons that he had to learn and also lessons about himself and to really make, you know, to look inward in ways that, a lot of times football coaches are not willing to be that self-critical. He's had to do those. So I think he's learned from his own mistakes, certainly, but he's also learned from, like, Lane's mistakes because he was Lane Kippen's right-hand man at Tennessee and USC. So he learned from them, and I think he he learned from Les Miles' own mistakes. So I think that's his evolution, and that's kind of – all that stuff kind of came together in what was a pretty magical 2019 season in Baton Rouge last year.
3: Yeah. I mean, so way back at the beginning of last season, you mentioned Joe Brady and Burrow and hanging around the team. And I mean, the Burrow story alone is phenomenal. I mean, he was in that Ohio state room with what Cardale Jones and the loaded coaching, uh, the loaded quarterback room there. And then he just goes to LSU and has like an okay season, right? He was just a guy right In, in that first year. And then, We've never seen a rise like that, Bruce. I mean, how much of it do you think is attributed to Brady uh, versus just Burrow maturing or what have you?
4: I think it's a lot of pieces came together. I mean, certainly, you know, he got better as the year went on. He not played at all at really at Ohio State in those years. And then he gets he gets going at, at LSU. And then late in the year, they have a seven overtime game where they lose. It's like 74-72 to Texas A&M. And that was really the first time that it was like, hey – we're going to do some stuff where you can, you know, use his legs more in the run game. And it became more stuff he was comfortable with in the evolution of the offense where, Hey, Ogeron always wanted to go to a spread, but they did not have enough of the receivers where he felt like the pieces were in place to go do it. So they kind of evolved to it in, in that first year. And he lit up a uh, and but really, really shined against UCF who was on a long win streak in the Fiesta Bowl. And you started to see it. And then, then in comes Joe Joe Brady, and Joe Brady brings some of the RPO game he learned from Joe Moorhead at Penn State, and also the Saints' pass game, passing concepts he had with him in New Orleans. And then you see the emergence of like some of these young receivers. I mean, Jamar Chase ends up being the best receiver in college football last year, and Justin Jefferson blossoms at that time. Clyde edwards hilaire becomes a fantastic component to this because they would go five wides, and Clyde at five six whatever he is. He's out there and he's a mismatch for everybody. And so you're seeing all these pieces come together. And I think it was really that. I mean, you know, I have some great stuff in the book from Joe Burrow and about Joe Burrow. um, Just about his evolution as a team leader and why he fits so well with Ogeron and why he fits so well there. I mean, I had like... It's one of those rare times where, when you talk to somebody, almost everything they tell you it seems to be really usable material. <laughs> and um, you know, the stories about how Burrow—like, I, I feel like I know this is a good book. But if you're not—if you don't care about college football at all, and if just you're an NFL fan, you should really want this book because there's amazing stuff about why Joe Burrow. And like, I, I'm a big believer in him because of the stuff. Both I saw from being in the meetings and at practice, but also the stuff some of the coaches told me about, hey, before he was even the starter, there was a day at practice where Devin White, who at the time was the best linebacker in college football, is just chirping and chirping and chirping and, and the offense can't get anything going. And finally, Joe Burrow, not even the starter, just the new kid from Ohio State, basically turns to him and goes, hey, Devin shut the bleep up or else I'm going to come over there and beat the bleep out of you. And everybody was like, whoa, what just happened? (laughs) And that point, they were like, wait, that's Joe Burrow. That's like the tough coach's kid from Ohio who nobody really knew a ton about. But at that point, he got the offensive personality. And so there's some really interesting stories about Joe Burrow, you know, starting fights and brawls at practice with the defense. Stuff that never happened at LSU. Because the offense never stood up to the defense like this. And I think that's the stuff that was really eye-opening for me in this kind of evolution that they had last year.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. So Burrow and the Bengals played the Ravens a few weeks ago. And I guess there was some chirping from Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. And I was stunned. Like Patrick Queen apparently had some semi-beef with Joe Burrow. And it caught a lot of people off guard. They're like, wait a sec. Joe Burrow, that, that nice little kid. Maybe this Devin White. No, this, style. That,
4: that's not Joe Burrow. Like that, like Joe Burrow is the the iciest competitor that LSU's probably ever seen, right? And so the Patrick Queen story is interesting, just in the regard of. So I told you the 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 obviously the Devin White story after his first year. So they had already beaten UCF, and it's the spring when I was down there. He gets into a a starts a brawl and patrick queen is in it it's he and patrick queen because he thinks patrick queen um basically took a cheap shot and it's a full-scale brawl and this is after like a like a couple plays after he got it started got into it with jacoby stevens right nice. so um and it's the the patrick queen stuff i think they're buddies but i think at the same point it's like whatever happens between on the lines of the practice and Burrow had told me he was like, I probably shouldn't have been out there right then. I was, I had shoulder surgery, and he was like, so I was, you know, hey, don't mess with it or whatever. And you know, I think he felt like the first brawl, he didn't feel like he got in enough, so this one he wanted to start himself just because he felt like it was it was good for the good for the team balance. As he as he's kind of yeah.
3: How out. does a team bounce back from that? I mean, obviously arguments happen, but full on brawls and throwing punches like. Is it tough to walk that back? I mean, I, or is do is the respect gained for Burrow when he's willing to talk trash to, you know, future NFL linebackers who are much bigger than him?
4: Yeah, I had asked Ogeron that part of it because the, the the two, the ones with, the the one practice where it was with Jacoby Stevens, who's a really big safety for them, and then obviously Queen, who's a who ended up becoming a first-round pick, that was in the spring. And Ogeron said, you know, we call it fire in the hole. He said, I don't want that as we get closer to the actual games. But in the spring, if that happens, um, you're know, like you going to see personalities emerge and leadership, and it's like that was a practice like he'd never seen before at LSU in terms of he was like, Joe torched that defense after that. And mm. I think at that point he said, you know, he says in the book, I knew we had a really special team. I walked off the field after seeing it. And, again, this is a guy who, you know, like Ogeron's seen – he saw Miami when Jimmy Johnson was the head coach. Yeah. And he said – I would never seen a team practice like that. And then he was at USC when, you know, it was the Reggie Bush liner, you know, that team that was loaded, you know, like, and he was like, those guys were great and ultimate competitors of practice. And then he said, then he gets to this team and he goes, it was like next level. What was going on? It was like, he'd never seen anybody practice when he got, until he got to Miami, like how that those Miami's teams practice. And he goes, you're always looking for that kind of energy. He said, "I think we got that, and that was really a big part of why they won a national title last year."
3: It's weird, you know. You could call them one of the most unlikely champions ever, but they destroyed everyone last year. I mean, it was there was it was no contest. Like I thought, Cl- <laughs> I unfortunately had a lot of money on Clemson <laughs> to cover in the national title game, and that blew up in my face. But yeah, you you know, what,
4: Jason, I could have told you. So I didn't know this was coming until. And I, I wasn't surprised they whipped Oklahoma because it was a bad matchup for Oklahoma. Mm. You know, they just don't yeah. have it in the secondary. But I remember thinking at one point leaving the Georgia Dome after the Oklahoma game, and that was the, or after the Mercedes-Benz, it is, after the semifinal going, whoever they play, whether it's Clemson or Ohio State, nobody's beaten these guys. And the reason why I felt that was seeing that, I had seen them a couple times at that point, you know, up close and been on the sideline for their games and seeing them, an hour before kickoff, they were exactly the same way as they are at our Wednesday practice, which is like a ton of energy, incredibly confident and focused, but really loose. And I was like, you know, Clemson may put up 35 or 40 on them, but Joe Joe Burrow is going to put up 50 if he has to on them because they're not going to stop Clyde and they're definitely not going to stop Jamar Chase. And by the way, like in that game, like, there are going to be great receivers coming out in the draft last year, and there are going to be good ones this year. Like, watch what Jamar Chase does. Clemson is putting a first-round pick on him, and Jamar Chase abuses him.
3: Oh, I know. And
4: it's like, hey, our best guy is going to beat whoever you have. And what was crazy was, if you look at what Joe Burrow did, in all the games when he went head up against these supposed great quarterbacks, their numbers were minuscule compared to what he did in those showdowns. It's just like, I, you know, like, there's some stuff in the book like, the night before, the, the Ogeron's last speech to the team, he is on this roll where he at one point he goes, you know, other team's quarterbacks get hit and they bitch. Our team's quarterback gets hit and he gets pissed off and he's bringing hell with him after that. And it's true. Like, uh, you know, I hope for his sake that the, that the Bengals draft some more offensive linemen. But I came away thinking, I will be stunned if he's not a really good NFL yeah. quarterback, and the Bengals aren't don't get a lot better.
3: yeah, I mean i I'm, I'm I was surprised at that rise last year, and then, you know, remember, it was the tank for two a year. Everybody was mm-hmm. joking. two is the guy, two is the guy. And meanwhile, two is the last quarterback to start from the 2020 class. I mean, of the of the big three. Um, you know, listen. Uh, Burrow versus Herbert is an is another entirely different discussion. But yeah, Burrow has looked tremendous. I mean, seven hundred yards and six touchdowns in two games against the Browns. And I know the Browns' defense stinks, but I mean, who had Joe Burrow doing that? He, he sounds like a great guy, Bruce. I, I do want to ask you this. Like, it sounds like, and I've never written a book. Uh, I've had been approached about a couple, but I, I just, it seems like a labor intensive thing that I don't know if I can handle. And I have to ask you this. How much time did you have to spend away from your family to to cover the team and do this book? Are you down there in Louisiana for months on end?
4: I, you know, I spent a lot of time at the end of the last season. So it was, fortunately, you know, my TV crew did not have a conference title game last year. So I got to spend the week with LSU when they played Georgia. And then... Got to spend much of the you know the run-up for the whole playoff, meaning when they got ready to play Oklahoma, when they played Oklahoma, and then obviously when they beat Clemson. So it was all. I was in all the meetings. I was in at the practices. I was on the sideline for for uh, for two of the games. I was I was up in the press box for the Clemson game, but just I had such you know like access, so you're able to see everything, and then. I didn't know how it was going to go in the pandemic because that's when the, a lot of the writing happened. And as it was, because, you know, they weren't able to practice, Ogeron was able to be on the phone. I like, I'd never talked to him so much on the phone, like where it was like, usually I could talk to him for like eight minutes and then he'd have to run on. These were (laughs) like 24, 25, 45 hour minute conversations to go through stuff, you know, either in his past or about, detail stuff that i came back with questions about so that really helped the process and or and honestly because i was around the team so much um a lot of the staff guys whether it was a defensive line ga or or a position coach or a coordinator you know i could always go back to them and there's a lot of stuff people like that i felt good about in the book where it's like you know ogeron may not have been in this players only meeting but foster morrow who's now a tight end with the raiders he was, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I probably pestered Foster for detail stuff. I and mean, he was also Joe Burrow's host on the visit. You know, it's like, mm. you know, you go back to some of these people over and over again for the details that maybe the head coach doesn't have, or maybe wasn't in this particular, or just you want a different perspective on it. And so, you know, I could get uh, Jack Marucci, who's the trainer, has been there forever, um, you know, have these hour-long conversations with them to really get a unique perspective into what happened. And I think that's the part where it's a book you really want to stretch your legs and take the reader somewhere yeah. where you know, like, you you know, the way I, the reason why I feel so proud of this book is because I know that even if you covered the team as an LSUB writer, you just didn't, weren't able to yeah. go to some of these places that I was able to get to because I was around them for so much.
3: Yeah, and this is a real inside baseball question, but did... You know you probably got to know some of the other guys who covered the team how did they how do they handle it and you could be honest uh, you know when you're going into meetings and talking to players all the time I mean obviously you weren't reporting on it uh, you know in the moment uh, it was for a book a bigger picture thing but is there is there some jealousy is there words exchanged are people unhappy that you're getting access there or not
4: I don't I don't know if there's if there there's never words exchanged the closest thing I've had and this goes back to the meat market book like I spent a year plus on the inside of that football program and it felt almost like I was undercover because <laughs> nobody re- like, you know, nobody really knew I was trying to steer clear of the compliance guy and I was trying to steer clear, steer clear of the AD as much as possible. Like they knew I was in there, but I remembered um, I, I was there. Ole Miss was not very good. They played an Auburn team that was like number six in the country and they almost beat them. And I remember, like, to the point where I was still working at ESPN.com and for ESPN, and the editor was like, hey, can you write something about this for the website? And so I did, and I had, oh. a, you know, I was like, that's not going to be that much part of the book, but the scene I had was about a locker room scene. And I remember I went back home to Los Angeles, where I was from, after the story ran, and I got a call from their SID, and he said, hey, not for nothing but, and he mentioned the editor of the local paper was really pissed at them because... Mm you know, how did I have that kind of access? And my only answer to that was, you know, in the, and I remember this was like in Ogeron's first game as a head coach at Ole Miss, and I wasn't down there for this at this point, was he gave like all access to the, some the writer for the Memphis Commercial Appeal to spend time around the team. And sometimes that happens, mm. you know, where somebody either from the relationship or there's a trust factor or just the staff feels like, hey, this would be this, you know, we want to, you know, we feel like we work really hard, or we want to like help get the word out about our program. You see these access stories, and so that happens. But in the case of this, um, you know, it worked out. I mean, look, I just, I, I know I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that, that Fox and the Athletic were able to let me, you know, kind of steer clear for a little bit to get this yeah. work done, and then in terms of the timing you know, I'm writing late at night when my kids are asleep or first thing in the morning when nobody's up yet. And it's just kind of like, because I've written a few books now, at least I have kind of a working knowledge of how I feel like I need to work to get stuff done. But it's like you're living with the book, you know, kind of for nine months in that case to try to put the pieces together. And it's kind of like a big puzzle. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely would get people who would not be happy with, you know, who are on the beat, And, you know, look, I work with Brody Miller. He's a good reporter. He covers LSU for the athletic. And I'm sure it's not great that sometimes I'm getting access to stuff that, you know, he would like to be, you know, in a different place or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. I mean, you know, by the same token, like, look, I have colleagues or friends who are also college football people that, you know, I know they have different, you know, access Mm -hmm. to things that I might not have. Certainly. Uh, Let me ask quickly about
3: Joe Brady. Uh, My New York Jets are going to be in the market for a coach. They should have been weeks ago, but here we are. Um, I don't know. Is it too big of a leap to say Joe Brady's going to get head coaching interviews? He's only—I mean, he wasn't with the Saints, uh, a lower-level position, and now, obviously, he's the offensive coordinator— of a team many thought would stink and the Panthers, you know, who play uh, tonight on Thursday night football, you know, they're pretty good offense. Uh, Joe Brady doing well with Bridgewater, uh, you know, Robbie Anderson and company. Is Joe Brady going to get looks or you still think he's a couple years away?
4: I think he is going to get looks and here's Mm. what's bodes well for him. Uh, The head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, is now he's older than joe and he was an nfl player for a little bit but he was a guy who was seen as a cutting edge offensive mind he got an opportunity and he is doing really well that hire looks really good uh obviously sean mcveigh out here with the rams has been a terrific hire young energetic offensive coach now joe's personality is very different from those other guys his profile is much lower um, but having said that um you know where i remember going when i went down to meet with with Brady the first time, you know, at one point we were talking and I think I had asked him, had you ever done it? You know, it was, it kind of came across that he had never done really gotten any interviews just in terms of media wise. And if you think about it, uh, most college coaches or most coaches in general, football coaches were probably pretty good players at some point, either they were a a really good college player, or they were at least a really good high school player, wherever they were. And I'm not talking like Mike Leach or Charlie Weiss, but most where at some point, well, you got to remember, so Joe was never a position coach at that point. He had been an, uh, basically not even a position coach with the Saints. He was a basically a quality control guy, and he was a grad assistant at Penn State, so nobody's interviewing those guys. And before that, he was a backup receiver at William & Mary, which is an FCS school, but, you know, it's not like a big stage and a big media beat. And then in mm-hmm. high school, he was in Dade County, where there's a ton of other yeah. you know football programs. So it wasn't like he was ever on the big stage because – so I think from part of that, I think still people are trying to figure out who is this mastermind, yeah. right? And so there's that. And then the other thing is, I think, you know, he does have strong NFL ties because of his time with the Saints and because there is so much respect for for Sean Payton's system and he learned under Pete Carmichael and everybody has been around him, has been wowed by him. Now, what I would tell you from working on the book is – I would sit in these meetings and you'd be in the back of the hotel room where they would have a team meeting the night before a game. And you'd, you know, there's probably 30 rows of chairs that are lined up and the coaching staff maybe sits in the last three or four rows and the players are in in the rest of them in the front of the room. And, um, you know, at one point early on, I was like, where's Brady. I see all these other guys and I'm looking around and looking around and all of a sudden I look in the, in the second row in the front of the room and I see, in between Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase, I see a little red head and Justin Jefferson has got his arm around him. And like, that's Joe. He's Mm. in the middle of the receivers. When we would eat dinner at team meals, you know, I would sit at one of the coaches tables and the coaches tables would be in like the, like four, four round tables in the corner of the room. And Brady usually wasn't there. He would be eating with the receivers. You know, he was a receivers coach and pass game coordinator. And it's like, you know, he's 30 at the time. And, um, you know, so he really connected with those guys. And so for people who think he's just this kind of, you know, don't think he's like a nerdy guy who nobody knows anything about. Like he definitely has a really good rapport with his guys. And I think he's learned from – think about his the guys he's worked under now. Now he worked under James Franklin at Penn State. He worked under Sean Payton with the Saints. He worked under Ed Ogeron on a national championship team at LSU. And now he's under Matt Rule, who's a really um, – is a really smart head coach. So he's got some very good perspectives. And I, I'd i be I'd be very surprised if he doesn't at least get head coaching interviews. I'm not saying he's going to get the job at this point because I think he knows he can be choosy. But I'd be very surprised knowing what I know about Joe Brady Interesting. if he doesn't get a head coaching so, interview.
3: He's from Miami, Dade County, I think you said. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you think he fits as a New York guy or does he put that aside and say, shucks, if I can play, if I could coach for Trevor Lawrence, hell's yes, that's my gig. Do um, you think he fits in the New York market?
4: I think he could. You know, like to me, he's not like you know. And I can't say I know Adam Gase at all, but he's not that. You know, like from what I know, I mean, it's a good thing. <laughs> Joe, yeah, Joe Brady's pretty normal guy um, in terms of like he loves football. I don't think he's like the guy who there's gonna be like he's you know cliff's persona is a little different than what yeah. cliff actually is like people i think because of the ryan gosling thing and they saw the pictures of his home like Kingbury's is kind of a, a a grinder who's a coach's kid whose dad was in the military like i think he's kind of he played up some of that for recruiting purposes early on but i don't think that's really totally who he is just from knowing him and knowing the people close to him whereas i think like, yeah, there's definitely something that goes with, you have the expectation of being the Jets or Giants coach because of the tabloids. And, you know, you and I both know what, what that, you know, environment is like, but I think he is such a football guy. Like that's what he's into. Like he wants like much like Cliff, I think he just wants to you know, go into the office 5am and watch film and figure, Hey, I got this and I'm going to show the players what we got and put them in position to succeed. The other stuff um, you know was Tom Coughlin like a media darling or anything like that yeah, i mean he a won a point. super bowl you know i just think it's like the question's going to be do i go in there do i see what's on paper and think this is the best situation for me or would i be better served and i'm not saying he he could get the texans job or whatever but or mm-hmm. go to the atlanta falcons and again i i can't speak to you know a lot of those situations about everything that's involved clearly Matt Rule was very enamored with what he saw offered by the Panthers more so than other situations, and I think Joe's smart. He's going to learn from those people. He's got you know, people he can turn to to say, hey, what, what do you think of this or whatever, and I think that that will help him. But again, he's young. He knows yeah. he can be really choosy and not have to jump now. The, the, it won't be the worst thing in the world for him to spend another year with Matt Rule and be around you know, I know he really likes Teddy and I know he really likes Christian McCaffrey and that's probably a good place for him oh, to be.
3: He Sounds like the guy I want for the Jets. All right, let's wrap up with a couple college football questions. So Bruce, this is the strangest year in college football. I've been slow to get into it with the big 10 just getting started last weekend. Um, games getting canceled. Obviously I think, I don't know if it was you that broke the news, but I saw Wisconsin is not playing this weekend after Wisconsin's huge win last weekend. I don't know. How would you sum up the season so far? disjointed, uh... disjointed,
4: bizarre. um, A a college coach. And I don't remember who told me this back in August said, there's a big difference between back and back to normal. And that Mm. was very profound. The more I thought of it, you know, look, I mean, I loved when the NBA came back, I was riveted by those games and those matchups. I loved seeing the NFL come back in the games. And certainly with baseball, we just had the world series. I think college is a harder, it's going to be a bumpier path because it's, it's not professional athletes. It's a hundred person rosters and they're doing things. It's just very, very disjointed. And now we're seeing it with Wisconsin. Everybody has like kind of different protocols and hopefully it can stay on track. I mean, we're also going into the winter and, you know, you look at Wisconsin and, you know, you hope that the 12 members of the program right now, which is includes their starting quarterback, Ram Mertz, but also includes Paul Chris, the head coach, and I guess six staffers, um, you know you hope that they that their their symptoms aren't significant you hope that they're they're doing well and you also hope that it doesn't lead to more than 12 in the ne- subsequent next couple of days but you know you also know that cases seem to be really high in Wisconsin from all reports and hospitalizations have gone up a lot in that state so i think people have their fingers crossed that this can be controlled better but right now we're in such uncharted waters with this i mean who knows there's no there's no margin for error for the Big Ten in terms of scheduling. I mean, where yeah. other places, when they've had a game, it's been quote-unquote postponed. This is a cancellation because there is no yeah. open dates coming up. So we'll see where this goes from here. Hopefully it's hopefully they can, uh, you know fingers crossed, they can keep things on track or get things back on track.
3: Is it safe to say we're probably headed toward Clemson, Alabama? Um, those seem to be the two best teams. Obviously, you never want to count Ohio State out. Um but is that your read? This It's early in the season still.
4: That is my read, yeah. I mean, I think Clemson's the the most complete team. They're really good on both sides of the ball. They got better on the defensive line with a bunch of really talented freshmen going in. Obviously, they have a great quarterback and a great running back and a lot of weapons. And I don't think anyone's challenging them in the ACC and Alabama, even without Jalen Waddell, now that he's hurt, now for the rest of the... Regular season, I think they're they're just really really good. I think they're really good on the O line. In addition, um, now we got to see their defense gets if it can get better. Ohio State's talented. I would put them right there. Um, but if you ask me to pick, I would say Alabama. And yeah. uh, you know, to me, you know, Ohio State. We still need to. They don't have Chase Young, and they don't have the Boses anymore. So that's you know, it's been like a whatever six year stretch where they've had <laughs> a, a a scary defensive lineman that other teams have to account for. It's not that they don't have any guys up front, but they just don't have that um and we got to see if their run game they I think J.K. Dobbins was good really good running back and they don't have him there either so um I still think they're a, a playoff team but I have a, there's a little more skeptic there's a little more question about them compared to the other two
3: gotcha all right well uh let's wrap it up there Bruce Feldman obviously go grab the book flipped the flip the script about LSU man it just sounds riveting listen to you talk about Eddie O and uh that run burrow had, but uh, Bruce, thanks a lot for the time. And obviously we'll continue to read you at the athletic and watch you on Fox and FS one. And uh, you know, stay
0: safe out there, man.
4: You too. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, The only thing better than sitting on your couch watching the game is making money while you do it. Here's your best bet.
3: Just tremendous stuff from Bruce Feldman. Really enjoyed that. I need Joe Brady coaching the New York Jets next year. I know he doesn't have a lot of experience, but boy, the Jets could use him. Uh, Yeah, Feldman I've known for a while. Great reporter. Great guy. Super nice dude. And now it's time for the best bet here on Straight Fire 37 23 and 5. Guys, I don't think you realize how much of a heater that is. Over 61% since the podcast started. And this game, Thursday Night Football, is a tough one because Carolina and Atlanta met the last time in Atlanta. And Dan Quinn was still the head coach. They were 0 and 4. And Atlanta was favored by 2.5. And what happened? Carolina won by a touchdown. Um, Carolina outplayed them, 6.9 yards per play, 437 yards of offense, Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater. And not much has changed for the Falcons, other than Dan Quinn's gone. And my big question is, how does that team bounce back? And that's trying to get into the psychological aspect, which is very difficult. Some might say it's a fool's errand. Um, But how does this team bounce back from that? The season is over for Atlanta. We know that. They're not going anywhere. And now they got Julio Jones is dinged up. The center, Alex Mack, left uh, the Detroit game with an injury. It doesn't appear as if Christian McCaffrey will play. I don't think he's worth a full point to the spread, but the line is 2.5, so Carolina not getting the full respect at home. Now, I've given out the Teddy Bridgewater numbers as an underdog. He is tremendous, covering again last week as a dog. I think he's something like 21-4 and four as an underdog against the spread, but he's favored here. So throw that out the window. The one number that I've been able to bet against Bridgewater this year is under pressure. If you can overwhelm that mediocre offensive line and get Bridgewater rattled, he is not nearly as effective. Zero touchdowns, four interceptions under pressure this year, tied for the most interceptions of any quarterback under pressure. Bridgewater's good with a clean pocket. Does Atlanta put pressure on anybody? No. And now Tack McKinley Hasn't been practicing this week. There's rumors they may cut him. They might trade him. Uh, Interesting note with Carolina. They released cornerback Eli Apple. So he was injured. Finally got in the game over the weekend against the Saints. Wasn't very good. I mean, Panthers DBs gave up. I think New Orleans got 12 out of 14 passing on third down. Like, that's totally unacceptable. Their top cornerback, Rasul Douglas, was out due to COVID. It's unclear if he's back this week. Obviously, that's huge with Julio. And I'll be honest, guys, the, the side you should be on here is Atlanta. That's what the move is. Oh, wait, you're giving me the team that was expected to bet, to do better this season. Getting two and a half points on the road? Why, why, why would I not take it Atlanta? And if you've watched Atlanta, I mean, one week after another, it's something. It's a collapse against the Bears. You know, it is a complete and utter failure of Todd Gurley last week to not go down. Folks, they show I think I saw the video, or maybe it was just the audio. In the huddle before Todd Gurley's touchdown against the Lions, Matt Ryan don't score. Everybody, do not go in the end zone. Go down. Todd Gurley falls into the end zone. Detroit comes back down the field, scores. Um, I don't love this play. It's not nearly a max bet for me. It's basically an action play because uh basketball's done and baseball's done and all we've got is football. So I am gonna I'm gonna take Carolina, giving two and a half. I don't do it confidently. Um the defense could not get off the field Sunday. Now they gotta go back out and face a potentially explosive uh Falcons offense if Julio plays. Calvin Ridley's very good. Gurley, you know, I could see him bouncing back from that mental error with a buck fifty on the ground here. Um Yeah, I'm going to take Carolina, but again, not a lot of confidence. So I'm taking Carolina at favor by two and a half. Let's go Teddy Covers. All right, folks, so that does it for Thursday's podcast. Tomorrow's the big one. I'll give out my best bets for the NFL weekend. Can't wait for that. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With Simelbo Grease,
2: That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to
0: shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more...